Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. Welcome back to the show, guys. And if CMMC is not an acronym you're familiar with, you might want to listen intently to our guest today. This is the Government Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And as I mentioned, in this episode, we're discussing all things CMMC, or the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. It's a big change in DOD's evolution in cyber, and it's an aggressive one. This program is creating a unified security standard for the whole of U.S. defense. Another reason it's aggressive is because COVID-19 is not stopping the DOD from proceeding with work on CMMC. And if you are someone in the private sector listening to this, that means you shouldn't slow down your work on becoming compliant either. So to help us learn more about this program and why it's so important, I'm really pleased to welcome Katie Arrington. She's the Chief Information Security Officer for the Office of the Undersecretary Defense for Acquisition and the head of the CMMC program. That's a mouthful. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the show, Katie. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Every time someone reads my official title, I'm like, how many vowels, how many consonants, and how many words can we make out of it? <laughs> but no, Brian, well, thanks let, for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. And let's jump right into it. Once it's fully implemented, the CMMC program is going to require 100% of all DOD contractors to obtain a third-party certification of compliance in order to maintain eligibility to bid, just bid on new DOD contracts. And it's going to affect roughly... 300,000 defense contractors. So it's an incredible, impa- incredibly impactful program and certainly something that organizations need to pay attention to. But for those that aren't familiar, can you give us an overview of the program and why there's such a need for it right now? Sure. So it's called the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, the CMMC. I joke around with people that I didn't come up with a really unique name. It was literally on a Sunday night. I'm like, what am I going to call this? Um, I based it off of maturity levels that I was familiar with, um, like the CMMI, if we all remember, you know, going through that. Um, why we needed it. There are so many different things. It's like a a rolling stone going downhill. Um, It just kept picking up momentum. Uh, It started off with, you know, in in 2014, you know, we saw that big Navy breach. We saw OMB get hit. Um, There were just a multitude of things that were happening. But the most pervasive thing was that we we realized how much money we were losing every year as the United States was losing about $600 billion a year to cyber exfils, ransomware, IP theft, data rights theft. 
Um, and the, that common string then led into several Department of Defense um, initiatives. Uh, you know, we had the uh, report delivered on compromise by MITRE. Um, we had the Navy Cyber Readiness Review um, come out. We had a DOD IG report that said that, you know, our contractors um, weren't doing all that they should be doing in regards to the National Institute of Standards and Technology special publication um, 800-171. And those were the 110 or are the 110 controls that non-federal systems should be implementing to protect themselves when touching controlled unclassified information CUI. So um, the challenge with that, you know, a few years ago is that there's a lot of um, different cyber standards out there. Um, there's the NIST 171, which I just mentioned. There's the NIST 53. Um, if any of your listeners um, to this podcast know history, 53, the NIST 53 gave birth to 171. Then there's an ISO standard, International Standards Organization, uh, 27001. Um, there's also the NIST um, cybersecurity framework. There's just a bunch of different standards. And we needed to get one unified standard for the Department of Defense to A, make it easier for small businesses and non-traditionals to actually get right with what they need to get done, one standard instead of seven. And we needed to have it in a auditable, you know, trust but verify. So we set up um, to create the CMMC based on maturity levels um, because we wanted to be able to create critical thinking around cybersecurity, not a checklist, but critical thinking based on a company's maturity. And that it, just like ISO, we would have a third-party audit so that when companies um, bid on work, they know where they the, the type or level of certification that they need. Um, but at by the time of contract award, they have to get certified. So we knew that we needed to do this. Um, you know, Congress legislated it in the NDAA of 20, um, Section 1648. The National Cyber Solarium, um, if you haven't read that, it's in Sections 4.4.3. Um, that we need to have a unified cybersecurity standard. So that's why it all came to fruition, um, and that's why we're talking today, is to get a, a common language around cyber. So the FedRAMP program's been around for the best part of a decade, and I know I've had a lot of conversations with people that um, that's the standard they're most familiar with, and they've made comparisons to it, but there's some obvious differences. How would you differentiate the two? Well, first of all, FedRAMP's for CSPs, cloud service providers, mm -hmm. um, and it's not for the masses. Um, so that's first and foremost. Um, it's not, the FedRAMP process is great in the fact that it really is, you know, it's, it, but it's government run, right? It's not a separate third party entity. And we needed to move this away from the government. There were multiple reasons why. A, um, scalability. So there are only, you know, I would say 200 cloud service providers versus 300,000 companies in the supply chain. So there was a, a vast difference. And we needed something that would also transcend the international community. Um, FedRAMP applies to uh, cloud service providers based in the U.S. 
um, our cybersecurity maturity model goes globally. I mean, we have programs like the F-35. That's, you know, a global program. It's a NATO program. So we needed to be able to have a, a way to certify and audit those companies outside the U.S. that were doing um, cybersecurity. So that's why we, we actually, not we, um, they, in the government, we said it would be really nice if an accreditation body would stand up so we could turn the model over. And lo and behold, an accreditation body stood up um, <laughs> and got the memorandum of understanding to do that. So it's a little bit different than FedRAMP. Um, and there's one really big difference in between the CMMC and the FedRAMP. And it's, you know, what what's happened before, right, with the NIST 171. Um, the DFAR clause today, um, it's DFAR, Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation, um, 252.204.7012, uh, requires that companies self-attest that they're doing the 110 controls in the uh, NIST 171. Um, if they have a POAM, they're still technically acceptable. If they have a plan to implement mm -hmm. um, in the CMMC, there isn't. Um, you're either ready or you're not. FedRAMP as well does POAMs. So our adversaries aren't sitting back and saying, well, I'll wait to exfil them till they clean it up. They're walking through those POAMs, our plans to get better, um, like they're Swiss cheese. So there's, you know, a couple of big differences between FedRAMP and, and the CMMC. Not to disparage the FedRAMP. I think that they do a great job. Um, it's just lessons learned, right? If we're not constantly evolving and getting better um, based on things that we've been through, then we're really not progressing as a nation. Well, one of the key things I heard you mention too was at, at CMMC contract award, you need to be certified. And I know with mm -hmm. FedRAMP, you can actually get certification a few months post award even. So still be competing for business and, and working with the government, um, but not even be completely FedRAMP certified. Yep. And we just, we, when it comes to cybersecurity, it's, it's really important to understand why we did it, right? So we go back to, you know, okay, there were a lot of ex-bills, we're losing money um, as a nation, you know, but the small and, and, and non-traditional businesses, we needed a way to get them to understand that cybersecurity was just as important as business insurance or uh, to have your business license um, and to make sure you have an auditable, you know, accounting program because it's important that we have a resilient supply chain that the company that is in, you know, I'm, I'm watching Fox News as we're talking here in my office and the, there's a, a representative from Texas on. The company in, in, you know, Houston, Texas that maybe has, you know, 50 employees and they're producing, you know, this widget. I need to ensure that they're there in five and 10 years down the line that, you know, our national security depends on the DIP, the defense industrial base. We in the government, we, we set regulations, we issue contracts, we determine requirements, but we really don't do the do. That's up to our industrial base. And if they're not there, then we have a, a, a catastrophic challenge. And that's why this is you know, more about getting companies to understand how vulnerable they are to cybersecurity, um, breaches, theft, exfil, IP loss than anything and that we needed to be able to get them strong and secure so that we would be here, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, a hundred years from now. Well, so you said something interesting there. You said you want to make sure that they're there 
mm-hmm. in five years. But an interesting take on CMMC came out a few weeks ago regarding the ability of the program, um, not only on the certification side, but also find out if companies actually exist. And if there's, so not just there in five years, but are they actually there? So are they foreign owned companies? Are they just shell companies? Amen. How, how large of a problem is that really in, in defense procurement right now? Well, I'll say that, you know, we are doing our, 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 our hardest work I think we've ever done. Um, COVID, you know, I was reading some uh, information about how much uh, com- countries like Russia, China, um, North Korea, even Saudi Arabia are investing, trying to invest in, in buy up uh, very vulnerable companies right now. Um, the, you know, shell companies have always been a challenge, you know, um, it's gotten worse, um, not better. So the CMMC, one of the benefits of it is that you actually get a physical audit, that you have an auditor come and actually validate that you're in existence, that you are where you say you are. Um, the, the whole point of the CMMC is about buying down risk, right? And if I can buy down the risk and make it really hard on our adversaries to put up, you know, and if they make a shell company and they've got a P.O. box, right? I'm going to make it really hard for them. I'm going to make them rent office space. I'm going to make them go and do the entire (laughs) process to set up versus just trying to scam uh, American tax dollars away. And that this is, you know, an an American ingenuity and American innovation. I mean, think about it, right? Um, They always say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Um, I've made several public statements about China being, you know, years behind us as far as development. Well, because they didn't need to develop, right? They stole everything. They took our R&D and they built on top of it. We need to protect that. We need to be able to watch over that and make sure that those those American companies, those, you know, the the small businesses and the non-traditionals who are innovative, they're the the depth and breadth of, you know, how we're going to maintain our technical advantage um, to to be the, the democracy that we are. Um, to be able to do that, though, they have to have protection. They have to have um, the, the know-how and understanding of what the adversary is doing, why they're going after them, how their, you know, their TTPs are and, and what they're doing to, to come after us. So more than ever, I think it's important that we get the CMMC, you know, don't wait to get certified, get good now, protect yourself, protect your business um, and, and stay around for the long haul. One of the things that I've appreciated uh, about you in general, one as a, as a legislator, um, and your run up uh, in, in your run for Congress, but also in your role now, is you put an emphasis on maximizing the value of taxpayers and making sure that their money is not going uh, somewhere in vain. So, uh, as a taxpayer, I do appreciate that. <laughs> I, so, one of the big things that I, when we started this, you know, I sat down with my team and I said, "Here are the things: A, we need to not duplicate government." dollars, right? So reciprocity is a real thing. If the government has spent money, then we need to figure out what it is those controls or those those certifications are and, you know, help um, craft the MOU with the AB so that they can take reciprocity. We're not going to twice, pay, you know, charge the taxpayer because ultimately remember, right, when we talk about the DOD or the budget or even what's going on with COVID, it's it's not like there's this dark room somewhere in the far corners of you know the United States of America with a, a, a safe in it with all this money. It's your money, right? Everything that we're doing right now is your money. 
And as a taxpayer, I, I want those companies. I, I'm, I'm a big business person. I love, you know, our, our capitalist society. I think it's amazing capitalism. Um, I, I make this statement when I talk to people. If you lower the risk, you reduce the risk, you buy it down, and you buy up the uncertainty of an adversary uh, affecting you, there's that delta, right? There's this space in between. And that space, when we buy down the risk and we, 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 we push up the uncertainty, Americans thrive. Our nation thrived. I mean, you think about after World War II, when we did that, right? We figured out how to produce, um, you know, and mass produce uh, military uh, weapon systems, um, vehicles, um, and we were able to do that. You know, we reduced the risk. We, we understood that we needed to have standards and quality. And, you know, we created the ISO. We worked hand in hand to create the ISO out of the mill spec. Um, and, and we bought up the uncertainty of the adversary by having it become a global standard. You know, NATO had theirs and they created, we created the ISO. And we were able to get great in the Delta, right, that difference. And it's an imperative for, for our nation. I mean, we've got to buy down costs. We have to bring as much back to our country as possible. And I think this is going to be, I think, the new conversation, right? What is that worth? And, you know, we led the charge on we're willing to put our money where our mouth is here in the Department of Defense. We believe in our supply chain so much that we're willing to pay them to ensure that they're doing the right things by making security an allowable cost. And saying, you know, you're valuable, what you do is valuable, and here's a dollar figure associated with it. Um, I think that that says something. I'd much rather give a company $1,000 to a year to ensure, well, not give, let them build it into their rates. Um, the, you know, if they're CMMC level one and it's, uh, you know, no more than um, – Two or three thousand dollars, you know, to get certified, and that's good for three years. So you figure about twelve hundred dollars a year for CMMC level one. Um, I would much rather have them build in the rate and get the critical thinking around cybersecurity and have them around the long haul than not have that lose six hundred billion dollars a year and then go to turn to that that supplier and them not be there. So we've got to ensure that we're doing the right thing for the taxpayer, that we're spending the money wisely, that we're getting a return on our investment on this. And and I think the return on investment is stability, resilience of our industrial supply chain. You're making my job easy because you're already helping me with the next transition. You mentioned <laughs> you mentioned CMMC level one and mm -hmm. it's it's one of five uh, certification levels within the program. Um, can you explain uh, just in in brevity how those uh, how those certification levels work? And is there something say analogous to like a FedRAMP moderate, which would be kind of a, a medium level or a standard level certification? Absolutely. So CMMC level one um, is in the FAR today. It's 17 virtually no-cost controls that you should be doing at home, right? This is not like we're telling you to go and create an air-gapped um, network um, and have, you know, a 24-hour SOC, you know, security operations center. We're asking you, when you get a new laptop, do you change the password? Do you understand that you should have antivirus software? Is your just antivirus basic cyber software? hygiene. Yeah, it's just the basics that you would do at home and saying, okay, level one, over 60% of the industrial base will only need level one. And that literally is 
do the simple things and, and create some critical thinking about, you know, um, so there was this, this um, and I'll get to the levels, but I'll, this anecdotal story, right? So there's this thing on a social networking, um, I won't say the name of it, but a lot of people are on it. And it's this questionnaire that says, you know, fill in this information. You know, what street did you grow up on? What, you know, it, it's like asking you, like, you're supposed to be, you know, to think and, you know, be reminiscent and share. No, no, that's not what it is about, right? That's getting your intellectual property that is using those keywords so that companies can, the nefarious actors can put them into password databases to break your passwords. People don't think about that. They think, you know, oh, this is fun. I'm, I'm here. You know, my friends are, are, we're all talking. And oh, do we all remember what street I grew up on? What do I would you think imagine you right now. I'd imagine right now with everybody home, those type of, uh, if you want to call them fun surveys, when you have a little bit oh. more downtime, are probably a lot more pervasive. Uh, oh my gosh, yes. And it's like people think about it, right? When you write, when you create a password, you know, what are you using as your basis to create a password? Simple things like don't use the street you grew up on, the first car you bought, the anniversary date, where you got married. All that public information is just crammed into, you know, password-breaking machines that you can buy on, software you can buy on Amazon for $20. Why do you do two-factor authentication, right? Why do you do that? Well, because the likelihood that one password would get broken and a secondary is high, is more unlikely. You're buying down the risk and you're buying up the uncertainty. It's putting that critical thinking into why you want to have that. That's level one. Um, level two is where, you know, you have basic cyber hygiene in one. In level two, you start to put process into that. So, you know, you're, it's, if you think about it, there are 17 controls in level one. There's 130 controls in level three. If you're a small business, that's a big step, right? And and you have to have a thought process about how you're going to get from one to three. Is it worth it, right? Are you? Is there enough B and P? Are you going to be able to bid for enough work to pay for that investment, right? This is this is the kind of thinking because I came from small business. I, I'm thinking about when I'm creating the model with my team. So we we created level two to put process in into companies so that they can start. You know, do you have a handbook? Do you, do you have a standardized way that when your company buys a laptop that you change the administration passwords? Um, it, so level two, you'll probably never see an, an RFP or an RFI. It's more or less to be that, that guiding light for small and non-traditionals to decide, you know, are we going to organically grow this capability? Are we going to look to solve our, our CMMC uh, 3 with cybersecurity as a service products? Um, you know, do we have the right documentation? And then level 3, CMMC level 3, has all of the 110 controls of the current DFAR clause 252-204-7012. So if you have that clause in your contract today. You are you are attesting to the federal government that you are doing that 110 controls of the NIST. Now we went out to industry, and and so one is hygiene, two is process, three is when policy dictates how you have to be secure. Policy says that if you have controlled and classified information, then you need to implement the DFAR rule and that you need to be doing all 110 controls of the NIST. 
We added with industry and academia um, 20 additional controls that they felt were needed um, to give the, the right amount of security. Um, those are going to be part of the rule change process, so the public will all have more of an opportunity to comment whether we, you know, we maintain that, but that's what level three is. It's about policy. And then levels four and five are the escalation of security based on critical technologies. So in the entirety of government, in DOD, 0.02% of all contracts will ever need um, CMMC level five, and 0.06% of contracts will need level four. Because they're very um, special, um, they're expensive, so the majority of companies will be level one, which is basic cyber hygiene. You figure um, level three is currently the DFAR clause. You got to think, how many clear defense contractors are there right now? About 17,000? That's how many companies are going to need to have level three. And there are going to be very few that will need level four and five. So it's a maturity model from hygiene to process, to policy, all the way up to the highest and most security that we can get. And you mentioned with all these levels, you're looking to buy down risk. And I've heard yes. um, from a lot of uh, contracting officers, and, and they, take, they, they take obligating the government seriously, and they feel with that there's risk involved. So how do you think and how do you see CMMC changing the culture of acquisition at the, at the uh, Defense Department? So Ms. Lord, um, the Honorable Ellen Lord, the um, Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition Sustainment, um, my boss above my first boss, which is the Assistant Secretary of Acquisition, Mr. Kevin mm -hmm. Fahey, um, you know, they reformed acquisition. That you think about where when we came in, um, you know where we were in in 2017, 2018, 2019. Um, we've come leaps and bounds as far as a cultural reform. Um, Secretary Esper is and uh, the deputy, uh, Mr. Norquist, they are all very much focused about reforming. And, you know, some people say reforming is a four-letter word. We in acquisition, we've been doing it. I mean, you think about what we've taken in the DOD instruction um, 5000. Um, we took it from a 300-page document of every sin committed by a contractor over the years and what not to do to a, you know, we created the Adaptive Acquisition Framework um, that's on the DAU website now that took that document scoped it down to 12 pages, and gave critical thinking back to PMs and to CORs about thinking about their programs. And one of the instructions that we wrote um, is called the 5000.cs. Um, my team actually wrote it. It's cybersecurity. And we actually put out that every single program that the government has has to have some cybersecurity requirement in it. So I would say, you know, reforming our culture in the DOD has been the, the primary focus um, for us, you know, reforming, innovating, driving down costs. Um, I, I look to Ms. Lord and what she's done about delegating down. I, we really believe in that, we, we, to empower our PMs, to empower the services. Um, they know best. 
um, but to give them the rules of the road. And the same with our cores, you know, that, that, hey, this is why cyber matters. This is why you should have a cybersecurity requirement in your contract. Um, generally, it'll be level one, but just so that your, your, your partner is protected as much as you are. You mean, think about it. That course is behind a laptop, behind, you know, a firewall in a network that has, you know, we, we follow the NIST. We follow it. Why wouldn't we want our business partners to do? So you mentioned kind of it, what seemingly would be like an education process for uh, departments to understand why CMMC is so important, why they need to put it in there. Is that something that you're currently doing for uh, public sector and private sector? Oh, yeah. So the DAU um, website is out. We are actually getting ready to um, go through the final stages of releasing a desk guide on this. Um, we're retraining our, our entire acquisition community. I mean, just like we're looking to um, industry to make this, you know, investment into themselves, we as well are doing the same thing in the department. Um, but you look at this as, you know, where the Department of Defense stands. And, you know, earlier I mentioned um, how we went from uh, the mill spec to, uh, you know, the NATO spec and we created the ISO uh, standard. It's because the Department of Defense is one of the largest buyers of product and services in the world. We're the largest buyer of energy in the United States. Um, we are one of the largest, uh, we have the, the VA is the largest medical system. When we make a decision to do something, it sets the pace. And the CMMC, um, we we started it, but it wasn't that we were doing it in a bubble. Um, you look at what the CISA um, at DHS recently released with their supply mm -hmm. chain resiliency. They aligned it to the CMMC. Um, you look at the National Cyber Solarium Report. I don't know if your listeners know about that, but that is an amazing report with five pillars. Um, put, uh, you know, Congress, um, they did it, uh, the study went on for about a year, and they came up with where we needed to go. Um, in the fourth pillar, in Section 4.4.3, they actually say that the, the United States as a whole needs to adopt a and build upon the CMMC from the DOD. And here's where it really gets interesting. Um, in Section 4.4.4, that not National Cyber Solarium, they actually said that we should amend Sarbanes-Oxley to include cybersecurity reporting and metrics. And you think about that. I mean, the last time we really did anything with Sarbanes-Oxley was what, in 2002-ish? Um, that's that's a massive change. So it's it's not just the culture in the DOD. This is a a global culture. Um, you think about what the UK did, and and they they led the charge. You know, several years ago with their GDPR, and granted that's primarily about data privacy, but they leaned in. Um, Canada has a cybersecurity. Uh, standard, I don't know, uh, a CMMC-like product that they're actually adopting the CMMC. The EU came out um, this spring and had their own, um, you know, cyber requirements. So it's there's this global awakening to it, and because we are some of the largest buyers in the world, the world is listening. So I think that you'll see the CMMC become a a federal standard within the next year or so. Um, and I globally, I know our Five Eye partners are moving in to adopt the CMMC. I think it will become the basis for a global standard. So I want to shift gears a little bit. And as you know, our listeners know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And it's made the acquisition of certain technologies incredibly important to how the government, and in your case, 
the defense department has responded. But what I'm curious to know is how has the typical process been streamlined to support the acceleration of some of these technologies that were needed in such short order? So we have been doing, um, well, I can tell you that we in the DOD, um, since the you know efforts of COVID, our services on the fact of how do we telework? I mean, that drove us to make some big cultural changes, right? Um, you talk about a group of people, you know, 26,000, I believe, in the Pentagon, who primarily were focused on work. You know, we came into the Pentagon every day. And since, you know, March 15th, we've been at, you know, 90 plus percent of us are teleworking. And that was a huge cultural shift. And how do you get the right products aligned at the right time, you know, to be able to have that happen? Um, We've watched, you know, you and I are talking via a a conference call, a telecom. Um, You look at how that has spurned ahead um, and getting the right security around those tools. I mean, I I think that COVID – I've been saying this in the past few uh, webinars I've been doing, but you think about World War II changed the way we manufactured, right? The horrible events of 9-11 changed the way we traveled. COVID changes the way we interact. And it generally is through a cataclysmic negative event that good things happen. And we can use COVID pandemic, right? If the Spanish flu and the influenza, I believe of 1812, I'm sorry, the the year of the first really big um, global pandemic, changed the way that we had, you know, water in cities and sewage. I mean, you have to think about what a bad thing, when a bad things happen, what we tend to do is as the human um, you know, element, the, the human condition and how we will find a way to survive is we modify our behavior so that we're more prepared for an event like that. So COVID has taught us about, um, you know, A, how interconnected we are, which is something that I have talked about at nauseum that, you know, I, I used to start my first speech, I think I gave last year about this, and um, I did it in front of a university. And I asked them, uh, you know, tell me one thing in your life that doesn't have cyber in it. And a gentleman was in the front row, and he raised his hand. He's like, an apple. I'm like, well, unless that apple magically appeared, it came through, you scanned it at a a grocery store. That was a UPC code that was in, you know, an algorithm was created that understood how much to charge you for it. The banking, you know, transaction, the logistics between getting it from there. I'm sure that the, the farmer had some genetic engineering on the seed. Nothing about that apple is without cyber. And you think about where we are today with COVID and where would we have been without cyber? Can you imagine this 15 years ago pandemic happening, uh, 20 years ago, without all of the interconnectivity we've had as, as human beings to each other through cyber? And how far we've advanced just in this short time. I mean, um, security, people are thinking about it. Um, children being able to tele, you know, go to school via remote. I mean, you think about how we have changed so much in the past two months um, versus where we would have been. I completely agree. I think we're, we're in a situation, and, and I've spoken a lot about it, where COVID's really acted as an accelerant for certain digital mm-hmm. transformation happening in government. But- the lead up to that, if if there was none of that leading up to this, like you said, 15 years ago, we would be in a really bad place and we wouldn't have been able to respond as agilely as we've been able to respond. So you're absolutely right. 
I want to lean into some of your experience, uh, not only as a state legislator, but also as a cyber executive in private sector. Mm-hmm. And recently we've seen uh, the number of ransomware attacks. At Is the that not insane? It's, I saw a statistic 4,000% increase. It so blew my mind. And here's the thing, right? And this is exactly basic cyber hygiene would teach if you did level one, there is a thing. Do you say don't open an email unless you know who it's from? I mean, it's not that our adversaries are having to figure out these very, you know, um, complicated uh, messaging. They're doing mass emails, phishing schemes. Somebody's clicking on it. Um, There was a study I read. uh, Gosh, I, I can't think of the... It was a science and technology. Do you know who are the most likely and susceptible people to um, ransomware and phishing schemes in companies? um, Executive assistants. Why? Their job is to read every email. You think about that, right? They don't know who's who their boss or who their supervisors. You know, they're just their job is to read the email. But if you're not looking at simple things like check the spelling of an email address before you open it because generally our adversaries are pretty good and they do these very minimal um, spelling changes like in my last name there was um, one that had gone out a a phishing schema that said it was from um, me uh, not me I'm sorry um, not the government that went out but it was switched their um, the letters in in the names you know, General Nakasone was, you know, that somebody had, and he's, you know, the head of Cybercom, and they they used his fake email address and were emailing people. It's that easy. And once the adversary is in, in, in a phishing scheme like that, the ransomware, you know, I, I, there was a company that I've been made aware of, you know, $15 million ransomware. You got you to gotta fork it over in, you know, three hours. This is This is killing companies right now. And when they're just struggling to survive, how many small businesses are saying it's just not worth it and they're shutting down their shop? I was, I was speaking at Enfuse last November um, at this cybersecurity uh, conference, and one of the keynotes was basically saying that as an organization, even as a government organization, private sector organization, whatever, you need to now act as though the, the hacker or the intruder is behind the firewall. And that's oh, yeah. how you need to proceed in terms of defending yourself. So it's no longer just getting them keeping them on the outside. You just need to assume they're in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and never take, you know, the one of the things that, you know, and this will be, you know, um, friends and, and family members of mine, um, their children are homeschooling, which, you know, everybody's having to use. And we, we assume that most people have a computer at home that they can use, right? But there are a lot of people who don't. And, and we keep, you know, you, you have to remember that not everybody has Wi-Fi at home. There are some people, the economic condition, maybe where they live uh, geographically, they, they, they may not have that. Um, they may have to share a, a computer with their children. And think about, right? Um, and I go back to when I was, you know, before I, you know, became an executive, but I was working in cyber and at a small business, and I was going to my local coffee shop to get Wi-Fi, right, to be able to network, to, to be around people. And 15 years ago, I didn't think, or 12 years ago, um, I didn't think that when I was sitting down at that coffee shop and I was using that public access Wi-Fi, that everything in that coffee shop, that everybody was using the Wi-Fi, I was taking into my VPN. I didn't think about it. Didn't 
you know, that's, it's a coming awareness. Think about how many people right now have their kids using their same laptops or computers. Their children are at school and somebody, you know, they, they're going to their email accounts, they're logging in. How many kids know not to open something? And how many companies, un, you know, unknowingly are, you know, because of COVID, they're getting affected and they have no idea why. And it's things like that. Like we've really got to have an awakening and understand how critical cybersecurity is to your family's, you know, your family's protection. You know, we, we count on our ring door systems and our, our AP, um, ADT security systems. Well, they're only as good as if you actually turn them on, right? If they're not on, they don't do any good. We've got to make sure we've got our cyber protections turned on. Yeah, as much as we're talking about teleworking gonna, going to be the new normal, um, I think it's important that we factor in exactly what you said, cybersecurity in that, uh, in, in that model. Yeah. Um, you've given us so much to chew on, um, and I appreciate <laughs> that. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? So the, the, the last thing is that the government isn't doing this to gig anybody, that we're not doing this to, you know, hit you guys with, you know, undue costs and, and we're not trying to make it harder. You know, streamlining and having one standard versus, you know, I, I give the example a lot of times, like if the Navy has one standard and then the Army's using another standard. It's hard for, for small businesses to acquiesce and figure out. Driving it down, one standard, we're all um, in line with it. Um, we're giving ample time for everybody to get prepared. I mean, this is a five-year rollout plan. Um, we did our due diligence. We worked on the costs associated with it. But know that we're not doing this out of, you know, uh, just happenstance. There is a national outcry for this. Um, I hope that, you, you know, we all lean in. Um, and if there's any questions or, you know, there's more thought, to, you know, questions you have, please reach out to us here. I've tried to make it, and I, we, um, as a team have tried to do everything as transparently as possible because there is no you and there is no me. There is nothing but a we here and we have to get good. And with that, I say everybody, you know, do your children, buy down the risk, wear a mask, wash your hands and get back to work. Thank you again for joining the show, Katie. And as always to you out there, thank you all for listening. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, if you don't know about CMMC, it's going to be an incredibly impactful program for defense acquisition. So hopefully our conversation today has provided you with a, a solid understanding of how it's going to impact your own organization. But I also recommend you go to the Department of Defense webpage for the program, which can be found at www.acq.osd. Dot mil slash cmmc. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ChittisterAB. Thanks again for listening, guys. Bye for now.